All right, welcome back to Let's Talk About God. Uh, we got Evan and we got Pastor Chris here. I must called you Dad, Dad here. You can call me Dad. I can call you Dad. We've been doing Whatever. this long enough. They know they know I'm your Dad. <laughs> so, so how are you doing? Oh, I'm doing good. So we, we started the first of the year here. Even though we know our listeners know we're still in December, but they're listening to this in January. So uh, they're always ahead of us. Hope everybody had a wonderful Christmas. Yep. Hope you uh, didn't have to suffer. Too many awkward family uh, Christmas. Is. Well, you gatherings. didn't wait, didn't you? You just went right into your pun. <laughs> There's always you didn't even wait. You didn't even give us time to banner. I suffered. Uh, I suffered. I got food poisoning. Oh gosh, it was horrible. I'm not going to go into the details because we that don't want to just them. no. That would be so crude and rude. But oh, it was just. And why does it always happen at night? Always. I, it always happened. So I went to bed, and then it started, and I had the abdominal cramps. I'm t- it was horrible, and I was never so glad to be relieved. <laughs> just leave it at that. But but I'm sore in my chest today from the from the vomiting. and ugh. Ugh. Oh, But I'm just glad all that's over. So Sounds like you had to suffer. I that. suffered. suffered that. Yeah, that was, that, was, uh, that was not the kind of suffering that you want to go through. But we're going to talk about suffering today, and we actually have a special guest, right? We do. We're pleased to have Dr. David Campbell on with us today. How are you doing? I'm good, thank you. Uh, Dr. Campbell is a, a personal friend of mine and an absolute genius, and he's just written a book called Nightlight. Let me get the uh, the subtitle right, How to Find God in the Midst of Suffering. And I can personally attest that this book is incredible and pure and error-free and uh, just an absolute wonderful resource. On and why suffering. can you personally attest to that, Evan? <laughs> I was able to actually proofread the book uh, just to fix any typos or anything like that. So it was actually it was a privilege, and I enjoyed every bit of it. Now this is special because Dr. Campbell, we've had some guests on, and he's FaceTiming us. Tell us where Dr. Campbell is right now. Let me just can I just list out all of your many accolades? Yeah, but tell tell our listeners he is he is he's in from another, Canada. He's in Canada. <laughs> So we have a Canadian. I am. I'm. I'm. I'm suffering. (laughs) (laughs) Suffering the winter. He hates the snow, don't you? I do. (laughs) But we don't have any this morning, by the grace of God. Oh, that's good. That's wonderful. Well, let me let me kind of list off some uh, wonderful things about Dr. Campbell. So, as we said, Dr. Campbell hails from the great country of Canada, the Great White North. Um, he's married to Elaine. He has eight children and seven grandchildren. Wonderful. Uh, which is awesome. He's got three degrees in theology from the University of Toronto and the University of Durham, England. Um, he's planted churches in the UK and Canada. He's authored numerous books, such as A Shorter Commentary on Revelation with the great G.K. Beale, uh, Mystery Explained, A Simple Guide to Revelation, No Diving, 10 Ways to Avoid the Shallow End of Your Faith and Go Deeper in the Bible, and Landmarks, A Comprehensive Look at the Foundations of Faith. He's also on staff at uh, Theos U, which is a website devoted to theological training with video lectures, interviews, podcasts. You've even got a seminary, all kinds of wonderful things. And they're calling Theos U Netflix for Theology. Starts at $14 a month. So head to theosu.ca to subscribe today. I have a subscription. It's worth every penny. Stop watching that garbage on Netflix and go let Dr. Campbell teach you about the Bible and some other wonderful things. And I'm already over here just itching because uh, 
we need to have Dr. Camel back and do a whole revelation thing because you know how the old man here loves prophecy. So, well, we'll see. That might turn into a debate more than a discussion. Oh, no. We'll I, have to see. Yeah, I think he and I. I think that would be great, but that's for another time. <laughs> see what you what you really need to do is to wait to the dead of winter and invite me to South Carolina. That's there exactly what needs That's to happen. That's what we need to do. We need to bring you in state. That's, That's right. exactly what needs to that happen. Will alleviate my suffering. Give, <laughs> <laughs> give him some warmth. Give him some good southern food. All those kinds of things. Get him down here. We'll I think take him like to that. the smoking pit. Oh yeah, get you some good barbecue. <laughs> good barbecue. Well, we'd love to have you. Well. Um, as I said, we're talking about your newest book um, called Nightlight, uh, a book about suffering. So if you would, go ahead and give us like a short overview of Nightlight. What is kind of the premise of this book? How is it laid out? What's it all about? Yeah, um, I had a number of friends, or my wife and I had a number of friends who uh, over the years had gone through significant forms of suffering. And um, I started collecting testimonies. I asked uh, various of them to write their story. And, uh, and then I felt to put it together in a book where I would kind of weave together the stories, these remarkable stories, there's eight of them all together. Um, I'd weave them in to the teaching that I give. Uh, and I know that, that, um, it sounds like a kind of a negative title. I, I first tried to, um, get a publisher to interested in it. He said, Oh, it's too depressing. Nobody wants to read a book on suffering. And I think that's part of the problem with Christian publishing is that we have a lot of, you know, popcorn stuff, you know, but if, sort of bouncy, feel good, but with no content and it doesn't really do anything for people because it doesn't equip them mm. to face the realities of life. And I mean, let's face it, that life is not uh, just a bowl of cherries. It's uh, you know, we all face some pretty significant challenges. And the, the question is, um, is the grace of God and the hand of God and the mercy of God big enough to carry us through, which obviously I believe it is. Um, and if so, uh, we need to be equipped for that. It's not that every day is a day of suffering, but or adversity or challenge, but we do all face those things. And as a matter of fact, that's actually where most of us grow in our faith. Mm. If you ever uh, ask for a show of hands, how many people in the congregation here have really grown in their faith when everything was hunky-dory? Um, you might get one or two, but then if you say, how many of you have grown in your faith when you went through a really tough time and a forest of hands will go up? Mm. So some of the stuff in the book goes back to actually uh, just when I was pastoring, it was my weekly preaching when I was pastoring. And it wasn't even that, you know, I did a, here's a 52 week series on suffering. That's one way to empty your church probably. <laughs> but uh, but uh, it was just that over a period of time, over a period of years, that I realized that I, I preached a lot of messages that in one way or another dealt with suffering, challenge, and adversity in life. And so I kind of, um, uh, adapted those, uh, and mix them in with the stories. Uh, and that's, that's what the book is about. I, I think it's practical. I think it's aimed at the average person, but I think it's got some meat in it. At least I hope it does. It absolutely does. It's, it's rich. 
It's a, definitely a, a difficult read in not in that it's hard to read, but the stories of suffering um, are definitely difficult, but in a good way, in a challenging way. And I think in a way that a lot of people can really relate with, especially because all the stories are, are varied. It's, it's not kind of all the same thing, but um, it's there's different situations of suffering and something that I think everybody can kind of latch on to and say, hey, I've been there before and this gives me hope. Um, I know that you've been collecting the stories, you know, uh, after all these years, but is there anything kind of that immediately inspired you to write the book? Like, is there something that happened that you said, okay, now is the time after all of these years, here's the moment where I'm going to do it. Yeah. Well, I had the, I had the manuscript about 95% done. And like I said, uh, uh, I couldn't get, uh, anyone to publish it. Uh, that's not unusual, by the way. It's very, very difficult to get books published these days. And uh, how the it's kind of depressing, but how the Christian publishing business operates is they'll phone up a, a celebrity pastor, uh, like your dad, for instance, <laughs> and, uh, <clears throat> uh, who's got you know eighty-two thousand people in his church and and five or six Mercedes in the garage. <laughs> anyway, that is definitely not, uh, <laughs> not me. <laughs> uh, they'll phone up a celebrity pastor and say, you know, we want a book written on something. The celebrity pastor will contact his ghostwriter. He'll write something up and then everybody makes money. And uh, unfortunately, it's very difficult. Um, you know, it's a cutthroat business, very difficult to break into it. So, um, so uh, unless you bring a substantial audience with you, so it's kind of a catch-22. So I got discouraged, and I thought, well, I'm not going to waste my time, you know, uh, try and make any more effort. Um, so it just kind of sat there, and I had a number of other things I was doing. Um, I got involved in this online teaching platform, which is reaching thousands of mostly young people around the mm -hmm. world, young pastors and so on. and um, I, and then I've been doing a bunch of other stuff as well. So I had my hands full. I also, uh, I had these books on revelation that I've written and a couple other books as well. So, so anyway, and then our daughter, Sarah, that's our six, uh, out of our eight, um, got thyroid cancer. <clears throat> and this was just about at the beginning of, of, uh, COVID. And um, so she went through a very difficult uh, period of about six months. Uh, and by the grace of God came through that in a remarkable way. And she's just fine today. But um, at the end of that, uh, she said, you know, there's a, a lot of people going through a lot of challenge. Uh, I mean, in the middle of all this COVID stuff around the world today. And uh, um, I think you should write a book on suffering. And I said, well, I've written one. It's <laughs> sitting on my laptop. It's been there for several years. And uh, so I said, uh, she said, well, you need to publish it. And I said, well, I'll tell you what. I said, you write your story and I'll publish it. And uh, to my surprise that the next day she presented me with a very well-written piece. And that was her story. And it was very moving. And so I thought, all right, uh, my daughter's challenged me. I guess I better rise to the challenge. So um, I contacted the advertising agency that has put together a couple other books for me. And um, 
and they produced it. And that's that's uh, that's really sort of the that was the catalyst for it. I I mean honestly I think there is an I I mean I I've had it from people that have read the book. A lot of people have been really impacted. Some people say, well, I'm reading it with a box of Kleenex, but hmm. I thought maybe I should have bought shares in Kleenex or something. <laughs> um, but uh, a lot of people are saying I'm reading it with Kleenex in one hand, you know, the book in the other. But at the end, it's been really edifying, a real blessing to me. Yeah. Um, so, and, you know, that a number of the stories are from young people, two of whom have gone to be with the Lord since they wrote their story. Uh, and because I know them all personally, um, it's very, it's a very moving experience for me. I found it quite difficult actually sitting down and reading the manuscript of the whole book when it was done because it brought back a lot of memories. That's not quite so difficult for somebody else reading it uh, because they don't necessarily know anyone in it. But I knew not just one, but I knew all of them. And, uh, uh, but they're amazing stories. They really, really are. And, I, you know, I want to encourage everybody listening to, to purchase the book. You can give it, get it on Amazon. And I really do think it'll uh, encourage you and give you hope, especially in the midst of, of so much suffering. Um, well, as we get into it, let's start with just kind of the, the philosophical, theological question, the, the thing at the bottom of all of it. Why is there suffering in the world? Why are we all going through this, especially as Christians? Why is there suffering in our lives? Well, the short answer to that is that we opened the door to that back in the garden, and uh, God created a perfect world. Um, it's the—I uh, mean, God created a perfect world, but He created us in His image. Being in His image meant we have the possibility of, we have the reality of, of, of personality, of independent personality, and with that uh, uh, comes the potential of either accepting someone or rejecting someone. And it was a risk, so to speak, in God's part. And I mean, he actually knew the end from the beginning, being God, obviously. Um, but he, he wanted relationship. He wanted to be able to show genuine love. And you can't show love to a robot. Um, and he created us in his image. So um, we made a wrong choice. And uh, the... Uh, presence of evil obviously existed in the in the bigger scheme of things even before creation because um you know the bible puts together not in great detail but we can infer that there were there was a a, a whole order of angels that fell into rebellion against god before uh the cosmos was even created and the head of that is pictured as satan or lucifer in the bible and uh he shows up in the garden and uh, and we give in. And ever since then, uh, you know, there's been trouble. Now, having said that, the one, one of the really important things to say is that just because someone is going through suffering doesn't mean that they're in some great degree of sin. Mm-hmm. I mean, Jesus, that's actually what the Jewish rabbis or many of them believed at the time of Jesus. But Jesus, you know, when he healed the man, born blind, and everybody around him, including his own disciples, the guys I call them, they said, hey, you know, who sinned? Was it was it the guy himself or his parents? I mean, that was the choice. Um, they assumed that, that it was either him or maybe his parents. And Jesus said, 
no, you, you don't even understand how this operates. Um, and so sin is like nuclear fallout. Uh, it's like, you know, COVID. It strikes the just and the unjust alike. Mm. It's, it's uh, percolates throughout all of uh, humanity. And um, just because someone uh, like uh, my friend in the, in the book who writes a story of two of his children being killed in car accidents, one on the mission field, um, you know, it doesn't mean that there was anything wrong with them at all. It just means that, uh, that we're all living with the consequences of our ancestors' original sin. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and so, um, and so that's just a part, that's just a part of life. But the God's, the amazing thing about God is that he has the infinite capacity to bring good out of the worst possible thing mm. uh and so no matter what happens uh even and and god isn't the author of it but no matter what happens god has a plan and a purpose if we can call out to him uh and invite him in you know we have the choice either of becoming angry and bitter against god when difficult things happen to us or of crying out to god for help and the promise of the Bible is if we cry out to God for help, that he will show up for us. Mm. Uh, and we can't, you know, it's not just that it, it, that God pushes a button or that we push a button and, you know, it, it, we pray one quick prayer and everything's solved. Um, but God comes into the midst of our suffering and draws us through it and out of it and in the process draws us closer to himself. And I think that fear, God overcomes fear when we face a challenge in life. Uh, you know, I don't care what that challenge is, um, but you, you, you come through fear by facing the challenges and finding the help of God in them. Not that we're, um, you know, strong people in ourselves because we're not. God's strength is made manifest in only one place in the Bible, and that's in our weakness. But when we as weak people cry out to God and say, Lord, please help me, then God shows up and he brings us, uh, you know, he he can do amazing things. Mm. Sorry, I'm I'm wandering away from the question. You're doing good. (laughs) Dr. Campbell, I'm going to interject here. I, I know personally and then pastorally, I'm amazed at how when something bad happens and suffering comes upon us, that the first reaction, the normal reaction is that we think it's punitive and we'll say it's amazing. I mean, it will be the first thing out of your mouth. God, what have I done wrong? Mm-hmm. I'm, I, I've done it and I know better. And then I know people who've done it. They'll say, God, why are you doing this to me? They want to blame God. God, why is this happening to me? What have I done wrong? And we we automatically assume that the suffering is punitive. Yeah. Why do you think that is? Yeah, I think that's, uh, I think it's uh, a knee-jerk reaction of our fallen nature. Uh, instead of accepting responsibility, uh, you know, we want to blame somebody else. It's like anyone that's had a bunch of young kids. Uh, they're they're always looking to shift the blame onto their brother or sister or anybody else other than themselves. And I think that we become angry at God um, 
because somehow we believe it's God's fault. Mm. Uh, but for those of us who are Christians, we're caught in a dilemma because we know actually theologically that it's not God's fault. And so how a lot of Christians handle that is um, they super get super spiritual and they don't blame God, but they transfer their anger onto other people. Uh, and I think that in order, you know, when we, when we face suffering and God knows that in our human nature, we're angry with him. Uh, and that's just, uh, you know, no matter how hard we try, there's always something of that there. And the best thing to do is just bring it to God and say, Lord, I mean, God knows anyway, Lord, I'm in a bind. I, I'm angry. Why did this happen to me? It sh I didn't deserve it. That's what I feel. And Lord, I know that, yeah, um, I live in a fallen world. Uh, I know that um, you, you didn't create this. I know that you have a plan for me, but these are the feelings that I'm going through. I present my feelings to you. Please break through my feelings with the truth of your word and your spirit and just rescue me out of them. Like that's the way to handle it. But instead of that, people just blame God. And it's so, I, I remember back uh, in the days of Hurricane Katrina, which is what, 20 years ago uh, now. Uh, and when all these people were stranded in the football stadium in New Orleans, and um, you, I saw it on TV that when they finally came in and rescued people, uh, there were a bunch of people that, you know, we're just cursing God and, and cursing everybody and just mad. And, uh, you know, I mean, I, I could understand, you know, they'd had a rough time. But there was these group of ladies uh, and they were just uh, praising God and saying, thank you, Lord, you rescued us and thanking the soldiers that came to rescue them. And I thought, there's the difference. Both those, all, both those sets of people went through exactly the same circumstance. One of them, one group of them were Christians. And uh, they, you know, had found a, a place with God during that difficult, you know, time of several days that they were stranded. They just found a place in God and they had a great attitude. And so my, my question then is, um, you know, first of all, obviously, our response to suffering reveals what's going on in the depths of our heart. Mm. Uh, and secondly, if we really are living with that degree of anger and bitterness against God, we probably are living with the same attitude toward people around us. And y'all kill yourself if you live like that. Jesus said it, you know, if you harbor bitterness in your heart and unforgiveness, then you, you wind up um, in prison, putting yourself in prison. And, uh, so I think it's just a sad fact that people blame God. Uh, I think it's because they refuse to accept responsibility for their own sin. Um, they refuse to accept, we corporately refuse to accept responsibility for the fact that it was us that invited sin into the world. Not It's not God's fault. Uh, and we shoot ourselves in the foot then by instead of asking God for help by cursing him. Well, what does that do? And yet the book of Revelation presents a, a picture that even... You know, in the very end of the times before the return of Christ, when things are extremely difficult, that fallen humanity is still cursing God. They're not crying out to God for deliverance. They're still pictured as cursing God. 
it's it's just a very sad picture of fallen human nature mm. but shouldn't it shouldn't take place in christians those of us who know the truth the the word of god should be that light in our heart that our our response is lord i you know i feel this way it's fine you know we, we confess our feelings but I know it's not your fault, mm. and I'm reaching out to you in the midst of all of my negative feelings. Please just help me. Dr. Campbell, I think you're, you're hitting on another thought uh, that I've had, the other issue, um, and I'd like, I think you're already moving in that direction. Uh, and I'd like to hear your comments on this. Uh, I've always found that the, 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 a lot of times the initial reaction is, what have I done wrong? Okay, and then usually you work through that real quick and say, "Well, I haven't done anything wrong." I mean, that's usually you got you figure it out. Well, this isn't punitive. The next reaction is, "Why?" That's the question. I mean, Job, I think, is the classic example of that. Is Job never? I don't know. That Job ever did know why uh, he was suffering. And I've always told people, um, you may never get the answer. Don't go down the why road because it will frustrate you. I've seen people shipwreck their faith. Sometimes you you may not get an answer. You may have to get to heaven to get, but that seems to be a, a stronghold, a struggle for a lot of people when they're suffering. Give us give us your thoughts on that. Yeah, no, I completely agree with you, and I think that when when people are confronted with uh, with bad things that happen to them, uh, I think that um, I mean the one part of our response is simply to to blame God and say, God, you're, you're not right in punishing me. You know, I, you're, you're punishing me, but you're not right in doing it. Um, but then there are some people that have a, a different response, but it, which is also wrong, which is, Oh, there's some terrible sin in my life. You know, that God's treating me like this. And that's really not helpful either. Uh, and, uh, I think that, if you start with the assumption that we all live in a fallen world and we're all going to go through suffering in this life and that it is the result of um, the presence of human sin in this world, it's not God's fault. Um, and to that extent, I do have to take responsibility that I'm part of the problem. Even if from a human perspective, I don't, particularly seem to deserve what I'm getting. Uh, but then I have to look at the Bible and Jesus, who came into this world and saved me and, and rescued me from the dominion of darkness and has given me eternal life and one day will rescue me from all suffering. He received the worst punishment. He didn't deserve any of that whatsoever. Zero. Uh, I always deserve something of what I'm getting. I mean, if, 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 you know, I'm in Job's position and my whole family is wiped out, then, you know, I don't deserve that. Um, it's, it's not that, that I have done such terrible evil that I deserve that. Nevertheless, I do have a responsibility. I have to take responsibility for the fact that there's sin in this world. I'm part of the problem. And uh, then in, instead of sort of asking God, well, why has this happened? Uh, I mean, there is there is one level at which 
sometimes, um, you know, uh, we can look at our lives. I speak very carefully. I mean, we can look at our lives and see where we have opened the door to the enemy. Uh, I mean, if someone who, let's say, to take an extreme example, if someone who is a born-again Christian, who has accepted Christ in their life, and then they go and engage in some form of gross immorality uh, or occult activity, let's say, uh, and then some uh, really bad things happen, then they they open the door. And that's where you've got to own it and say, yeah, uh, I am responsible for, it's not that God sent a lightning bolt, it's just you've opened the door to Satan and he's come right in. And then you've got to be able to say, okay. So, I mean, in one sense, um, we've always got to have a bit of a filter for things that happen in our lives. You know, if I, um, you know, I mean, I, I think one day uh, uh, I was, uh, I was going uh, on a road trip, and uh, I, I admit that um, I, I, you know, those num those like uh, um, signposts with these numbers on the side of the road that say, you know, sixty or fifty-five or something like that. I, you know, they're kind of, you know, I advisory, <laughs> or I don't even <laughs> notice that they're there and. And uh, I had a day like that, but unfortunately there was ice on the road and I wound up um, slamming into the guardrails. And uh, so, you know, I, I looked at that and I actually, in the circumstances, I could have been in an accident, but I wasn't. And so I had to say, well, Lord, you know, I, I'm directly responsible for this damage to my car. It was my sin and irresponsibility that caused it. So we always have to have a bit of a filter like that. But when major things happen, um, you know, for instance, when our your daughter gets cancer, is you know, that's the, every parent's nightmare, isn't it? Um, yes. And uh, we looked at it and I thought, well, I don't believe it's because of sin in her life or sin in our lives or whatever. Uh, it's just because... Uh, this is the world in which we live. It may be a measure of spiritual attack. You know, Satan sees that this is a young woman that's going to live for Christ and have a powerful testimony, and he's trying to stop her. I mean, that's possible too. But you just go to God and say, Lord, um, I, I will ne never know until I meet you face to face. Uh, but I'm just asking you to intervene and, and help us in this situation. Um, and so sometimes in retrospect, um, for instance, th that pastor friend of mine who lost the two children in car crashes, the, whose story is written in the book, um, he did say to me uh, that um, the mercy drops kept falling from his daughter's death in this in the sense of people whose lives had been touched by her life and by the story because she had been backslidden away from God and had a dramatic return to Christ. Uh, just four weeks before she mm. had the accident and was, was killed. And um, uh, I personally was involved in a situation where the story of her death and how her parents handled it was a very, very powerful witness to an unsafe friend of mine. And so, you know, that doesn't compensate for your daughter's death, obviously, 
but it does say or show how after the fact we begin to realize that that maybe god was there in a way that we couldn't see at the time but as you as you say we won't really know until we get into the presence of the lord and when we get into the presence of the lord it'll all become clear and if we think it's all going to become clear in this life you're you have a phrase in the south don't you whistling dixie uh, so <laughs> yeah, that's it you're 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 whistling you're whistling dixie because we'll never figure out and don't waste your time trying to figure out just say lord i don't understand this but i don't want this to ruin the rest of my life or my family's life through my anger and bitterness or despair or giving up or walking out uh, just just give me the strength to be able to if all you can do is put one foot ahead of another then just put one foot ahead of another and in the end um the testimony of your life and faithfulness to god in spite of what you've gone through is going to be more powerfully uh redemptive than probably you imagine that's good i have a right now right this moment one of my elders he's 92 94 his son died suddenly and he lost his wife a few years ago and now his son died suddenly um and it, it's just crushed him. And I called him. I was out of state, and I called him, and he, he was crying, and I was crying. And and he's such a man of faith. And he said, I said, God, take me instead of him before he died. He was he, had a, he was in the hospital, had a stroke, whatever, brain bleed. And he said, God, take me instead of him. I've lived my life. And then he died, and he said, God, he, and he told me, he said, Pastor, I don't understand this. I don't know why. He said, but we just have to trust God. And I thought that that's faith. That's mature faith right there. That's mm-hmm. why he's an elder is because he could blame God. He could be upset, but instead he's just saying, we don't understand these things. That's good. So we just have to trust God. So that's kind of what you're saying, Dr. Campbell. So I want to ask you three questions back to back that I think they all tie together. So in your book, you talk about how Jesus, his life is really the, the Via Della Rosa, the way of suffering. Talk to me, why do we as Western Christians, so as Americans and Canadians, why are we so allergic to suffering in the Christian life? Two, as Pentecostals and Charismatics, why are we often so allergic to suffering in our life? And three, how does suffering then work for our good to form us into the image of Jesus? Well, I'll, I'll start at the beginning, and then at my advanced age, you might have to remind me. That's <laughs> all right. Uh, <laughs> In our in our uh, uh, in our Western culture in general, uh, I think you know on the one hand, prosperity biblically does come from God. That doesn't make me a faith te- teacher, prosperity preacher, because I'm not. But I do believe that um, the that when you align your life in in uh, the w- will of God, that the blessing of God comes upon you. In a number of different ways and so because we have christian biblical roots to our civilization um that has had a number of positive effects to it now we're we're squandering those for sure mm-hmm. uh i mean for instance look at debt and deficits you know if you if you um balance the books that's scriptural and there's going to be blessing if you don't and so many things that are scriptural are just true <laughs> that's yeah. what they're in the bible you know i mean that 
I mean, because God constructed the world so that it would actually work, and the Word of God works. And if you violate the principles of the Word of God, you get into trouble. So now we're running deficit upon deficit, and our society is going to go downhill as a result. And if, if there, there's moral uh, rebellion against God, um, you know, we, we have killed tens of millions of babies, and we don't even think twice about it. Well, our society is going to suffer mm. uh, depopulation. We have invited demonic forces in. It's not going to go well for us. But because of the wealth that we've inherited, um, it insulates us from the reality of uh, life and death. And I remember uh, I had a very elderly aunt who died. Or she was dying. Uh, she accepted Christ through Billy Graham's ministry when she was about 70, and she uh, was dying in her early 90s. And uh, I went from the hospital room where she was dying, and, and the grace of God was there. Um, and my wife wanted to go to a particular store, uh, and the store happened to be located in a kind of a ritzy little shopping mall. We went right from the hospital room to this shopping mall, and, and it really hit me. I looked at all these people wealthy for the most part, uh, very expensively dressed and very expensive stores. And I thought these people are, are they've insulated, they've used material wealth to insulate them from reality. Now, if you go to Africa or India, that insulation is a lot thinner than it is in our society. Uh, and so I think that uh, the further we've gone away from God, we put our trust in uh, technology, medicine, um, wealth, uh, in, the, in the delusion that somehow we can ignore mm. death. Uh, we can ignore sickness, suffering, and, and, and what it inevitably leads to. So I think that uh, in the Western world, we have a lot harder time then uh, I'm not saying that death is easy in Africa or India, but it's just something that people live with, and it's more in their face. If you travel to any of those countries, as I've traveled to India, uh, you appreciate that. But the other part of it is that India, for instance, is there's a more deeply spiritual environment in India, and that works positive and negative there's a demonic presence and there's a, a god a god presence um and so people are actually in a way i think more, far more in tune with the supernatural reality which is actually more real than this world in which we live the apostle paul wrote to the corinthians that this material reality is temporary it's transitional uh, that spiritual reality is what's eternal, mm -hmm. and that spiritual eternal reality comes in a positive and a negative form. Mm -hmm. And um, I think in our society, our material wealth has insulated us from that, but it's still real. It's just that, you know, the devil uh, blinds people mm. to the reality out there until it's too late. Um, so, the, so, and and I think that makes it difficult for us to operate in the supernatural. As you you talk about being Pentecostal or charismatic, um, it's it's a it, one of the obstacles we have to overcome is we've been taught that reality is everything that our it's it's limited to what our five senses can tell us. 
what we can touch and taste and feel and see and smell and hear and so on. And, and, and actually, our five senses will not access supernatural reality. We need the Holy Spirit for that. Um, so uh, that's why I think it, that suffering becomes a problem in, uh, for, us, for, for us to know how to handle it. And when we become a Christian in our culture, the fact is that we're influenced by our culture. Whether we like it or not, mm-hmm. we're, I mean, if you're raised in South Carolina, you speak a different way than if you're raised in Canada, let's say. Or in we Great sure Britain. do. We, we talk well, different down here. <laughs> eh? That's not a problem. <laughs> so, sorry, eh? eh? <laughs> sorry, eh? <laughs> sorry. Let's make a little <laughs> fun of you there, Dr. Campbell. Hey? Eh? That's not a, that You're very cheeky. But anyway, that's not, that's not, that's, well, we that's just talk flat. Pastor, Chris. I'm not dressing you. I'm dressing your son. No, well, we talk real flat down here and say, y'all, y'all reckon we Ain't. come in? We're fixing to do it. And so there you go. See, you're affected. Whether you acknowledge it or realize it or not, we're all affected by the culture we live in. Well, we can laugh about it when it comes down to accent, but it's the mentality of yeah. the world in which we live. Right. That w- that we just got to, um, you know, be always saying, Lord, Lord, it, is there something in me that is a kingdom of darkness mentality? Because I don't want that. I want to have my life shaped by a kingdom of God mentality. Um, and, and we are affected by that. Now, you know, why why is it that as charismatics or Pentecostals, we... Uh, we we should be more attuned to the moving of the Holy Spirit and to the spiritual realities. We, uh, or at least we profess to be. Um, uh, I think that um, I think that the faith teaching, and I, and I I don't mean to be unkind, but I think that in our circles uh, we've fallen prey to some faith teaching that doesn't really understand faith, and it uses faith. It's actually a fear teaching um, mm. in the sense that uh, if, I pre- if I preach that God will protect you from anything bad happening to you, then I'm living not out of faith. I'm living out of fear because what I'm really saying is that God isn't big enough to handle a crisis if it, ar- if, if it arrives in my life. Um, and so therefore, I'm just, he'll just protect me from anything bad happening because I can't cope if it does. And I actually think that God allows us to get into trouble because that's when our own arrogance is broken. That's when we get out of our superficiality. That's when we begin to cry out to God and say, God, please help me. And, and that's where the reality of our faith, this 92-year-old uh, mature man of God, this brother that you referred to, who's going through something that no parent ever wants to, even at that age, right. um, it it's pressure reveals the person. Mm. And so the, the difficult circumstance, the terrible circumstance that this brother is in is revealing the godly heart of this man. And, uh, and that's why he's been of such use in the body of Christ. And, and that ought to be the prayer of all of us, that if, if, if you spare me, Lord, to live into my 80s or 90s, I want to maintain uh, I want to have used my life to have built a deposit. Reminds me of we had a 93-year-old lady in our church, and not long before she died, uh, she, we, my wife and I were sitting with her, and she said, "Oh," she said, "I just feel 
that I need more maturity in Christ. <laughs> and she spent half wow. her day praying, uh, let alone anything else. And we just thought, well, uh, I, I guess, uh, you know, we felt kind of um, small. She was a tiny little woman. We felt kind of small in her presence. But I thought, well, all right, Lord, you know, this lady has got eternity in mind. She just wants to keep getting closer and closer to the Lord so that when she dies, it's just a seamless transition, wow. which I'm sure it was when the Lord welcomed her into his presence. So, um, and I can't remember the third question. The third question I, is... I, prof- I well, prophesied that myself. Well, 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 bef- myself. well, before you get into that, I want to just hit one more thing while he's here, then we can go to that third question. Um I had an uncle who died with cancer when he was 36, 37. I, I don't remember. I was 10. But um, there there were actually some people with the word of faith, which is, like I said, I'm like you. That's a, they, don't, they don't like me. Word of faith people don't like my preaching. But but they, they, they were stupid enough to actually come to my Aunt Barbara and say, well, if Bob would have had more faith, he, he would right. God would have healed him. It's just messed up. It just messed up. But I think that that and, – and this can bleed over then into – to Pentecost, it can bleed over into Baptist or anybody else, but we do believe in the supernatural power of God and the gifts of healing. But it, we have to be careful that we get to a point that we want to obligate God. We want to manipulate Him, or or just obligate, yeah, manipulate mm-hmm. Him or obligate Him that you you said you would protect me or you said that you would heal me. You have to do this when, and I know you're probably going to touch on this in a minute. That we have to leave room that God actually wants to do something else. He wants to use suffering for a, a, a divine purpose. Mm-hmm. And so I think there has to be a balance in our life. And maybe, maybe at times we're doing a good job of that, preparing people. Maybe we're not. I think of the th- three Hebrew boys who were facing the fiery furnace. Okay, you want to talk about suffering that was leading to death. And they said, the God that we serve is able to deliver us. And I love this. They said, but if not. Yeah. And I use that all the time in my ministry. I tell people, now, you need to leave room for a but if not. Pray, but if God doesn't answer your prayer, doesn't mean that he's failed you. He just had a different plan. And yeah. you got to have, always have a but if not, we're still not going to bow. We're going to still trust you. Our faith is what matters, not the end result of our suffering, whether it's alleviated or not, is will I still trust you? That's good. So my question yeah, to you— it, oh. Uh, and 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 I think that brings up a really good. Forgive me, but I think that brings mm-hmm. up a really good point, which is that what is the purpose of prayer? The purpose of prayer is not always simply that we present the shopping list uh, and God an- answers it. It's that in the process of the travail of prayer, we're adjusted by God, and we often find out that we are praying for the wrong thing. And we often come out of it saying, thank you, Lord, you didn't answer my first prayer. Um, But uh, we live within the perspective of eternity in any event. If someone dies and our prayers aren't for healing aren't answered, is, is that a win or a loss? Well, it's a loss for those of us who are left behind, but it's a win actually for that person who has entered the eternal presence of the Lord Jesus. Yeah. And uh, that's just not the way we look at it, particularly in our Western society because of our materialism, which, mm-hmm. which I mentioned a moment ago. That's good. Yeah, I preached a funeral yesterday, and I used Philippians one twenty one. Paul said, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. 
No matter what, I'm winning. Yeah, that's yeah. what he said. It's a loss to the, the the woman died. I said it's a loss to Carol, the husband, but it's a gain for her. And I listed all the things mm-hmm. she gained. But so so, what was the third okay. one, Evan? So my third question is: I know we've been doing a lot of critique, but what is the good that comes out of suffering? You talk about Jesus having the 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 way of suffering. His life was one of suffering. Um, you mentioned in the book about um, how the Apostle Peter talks about suffering as a refiner's fire. Uh, in what way does suffering actually benefit us and conform us to the image of God? And um, how would it be good to develop a theology of the cross versus maybe a theology of glory? Yeah, so, I mean, I think it all comes down to our personal relationship with the Lord, um, which is what faith is all about. Faith isn't, um, you know, uh, my ability to believe something in my mind uh, hard enough that I can make it happen. That's not faith. Faith is my casting myself in desperation on the Lord Jesus, the same way that the man with the uh, epileptic demon possessed son came along and 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 said, "I believe, <laughs> help my unbelief." Yeah, you know, that's I think all of us can relate to that. Absolutely. And 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 by the way, I mean, God saw that he had faith because, or Jesus saw that he had faith because Jesus answered his prayer and healed his son. And so it, his, I believe, help my unbelief was good enough for Jesus, um, which I find encouraging because I'm like that most of the time. I forgot your question. <laughs> How does suffering <laughs> conform us to the image of Christ? How does suffering, be what we view as a bad thing, how does it become a good thing? Uh, how is it the refiner's fire? How does it make us like Christ and actually benefit us? And how can like a theology of the cross versus a yeah. theology of glory yeah. to benefit us in this life? Well, yeah. And so I, uh, the short answer is that uh, it draws us um, any kind of adversity, anything that draws me into a greater dependency in, on Christ is going to be beneficial for me. And I have to trust God that the benefit, which may not seem like a benefit because of the external circumstances that I'm facing, that eternally the benefit is worth it because it's to know him and the fellowship of his sufferings, to continue in Philippians, uh, that's how I obtain the power of the resurrection. Mm. Uh, and so Jesus does call us to pick up his cross and follow him. That's the first and last words he said to Peter. Uh, in the Gospels, and uh, and 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 that means walking in the way of the cross. That means that it, instead of when we preach the gospel, telling people Jesus will solve all your problems, actually we'll get more problems in one sense because we'll get a cross to carry, and and the cross is the price of discipleship. Mm-hmm. It's um, it's God will call us to you know put. Uh, the kingdom of God ahead of our own personal comfort and so on. And uh, and we may make some enemies in the process, uh, hopefully not by being ornery or ignorant toward them, but just because they're, those that were offended with Christ will be offended with us, and some of us will be persecuted, and there are more Christians being put to death for their faith today in this generation than have ever been put to death mm. for their faith in all the generations up until now. So, I mean, that's just a reality of the of the walking in the way of the cross. 
And I think that it's not that, you know, pastorally speaking, when we're preaching and counseling people, we, it's not that, you know, we're, we're telling people, um, welcome to a life of suffering. You know, that, that's not what we're saying. Um, but we're just saying that we're actually saying welcome to a life of excitement. Welcome to, to a life of victory. Welcome to a life where in the end you, gain what you, you you lose what you can't keep to gain what you can't lose mm. as jim elliott said not long before he, he himself was martyred um uh but uh, along the way um the sufferings that y'all encounter in this world because all of us do encounter them god you now have jesus christ in your life in the presence of the holy spirit and that will completely radically alter the way that you experience adversity, challenge, and suffering in this life. That's and that's the hope of the Christian gospel, that um, a gentleman of 92 who loses his son uh, is, is going to respond in a far different way because of his, who knows, 70 years maybe of walking with Christ than someone who had never known Christ whatsoever. And that such an event for an unsaved 90-year-old man would be like ending his life in total defeat, failure, anger, bitterness, and 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 so on. Mm-hmm. So that's the difference that Christ makes. Plus the confidence that we'll see our loved ones in the presence of the Lord uh, in eternity. That's good. You and I, we initially connected over our love of the uh, the church father John. Uh, Chrysostom, and he has got this wonderful line, and he's written a whole treatise on it. He says, no one can harm the man who doesn't injure himself. And I've always tried to remember that, and that his perspective on life is that you can't hurt me. Like, I may go through suffering, you know, I may be sent into exile, I may have to walk to the mountains of Armenia or wherever he was exiled to. Like, I may have to go through all that, but you can't hurt me, because everything you throw at me, God will use for my good to draw me closer to him. The only one who can hurt me is me if I choose to depart from faith and to dive into sin. And I've always tried to hold that dear that if there's ever adversity, this can't hurt me. A, only I can hurt a me. A theology that says suffering can actually benefit me is very, it's very hard just mm-hmm. naturally. It, it's, it's, it's contrary to our nature. But to embrace that and accept that opens a whole new realm for us. And, it, and yeah. I think it does create maturity. I'm thinking of uh, Romans 3. Romans 5, 3 through 5, Paul said, and not only that, but we also glory in tribulations, knowing that tribulation produces perseverance, Mm -hmm. and perseverance produces character, and character produces hope. Right there, Mm -hmm. it's saying, here are all these spiritual benefits, and the only way you're going to get it. I always said that um, the the gifts of the Spirit, rather the fruit of the Spirit, one of the fruit of the Spirit is long-suffering or patient endurance. The only way you're ever going to get that fruit developed in your life is if you go through something difficult. Yeah, you can't suffer long without suffering. suffering. Exactly. <laughs> That's the point. So that the fruit of the spirit right there just shows us that that you need that trait. Mm-hmm. That is a Christ like attribute, but it's only going to come just as Christ suffered. You have to suffer through some things, but it will help you to and I don't think it's just, well I'll get through I'll get through this. You know, so I said, <laughs> I'll just get through this. It isn't about getting through it. It's about coming through it, but b- being better for it. Mm-hmm. God doing something in you that makes you more mature, stronger, edifies you, 
more complete. That's good. I want to ask you two more questions and then I'll let you go. Um, first, what advice do you have for creating and maintaining joy, peace, and thanksgiving in the midst of trial and then even after the trial is over? How can we rejoice and have peace in the midst of our suffering and then learn from it and carry it on for the rest of our lives? Yeah, because we, we have to um, understand that joy is not equated with happiness. We have a whole society that's built on trying to find happiness. And happiness, to me, is a self-centered concept. It's all about me feeling good. Um, joy is knowing Christ and having uh, Christ in my life, the pearl of great price, uh, the treasure that it's worth selling everything else for just to find. Um, no matter what the external circumstances are, uh, I have the assurance that Christ is with me. Mm-hmm. And but then... When I, when I find that, that is what real biblical joy is. And that it's like an anchor that keeps me. Um, and it's not that, that God wants us to live a life simply of adversity, suffering, depression, despair, you know, always just trying to, you know, he, he, he hasn't always got us in the furnace. I mean, it's only one dimension. It's just that, um, we need that deep relationship with Christ. The joy of the Lord is your strength. And we need that so that when a difficult moment comes, when a difficult season comes, that that's an anchor for us, that our um, joy is not just, it's not something just in an emotional realm, which is dependent on the external circumstances of our lives, because that's a very fragile place to be. Because mm-hmm. as soon as they change, You've lost everything, but the joy is rooted in our relationship with Christ. And that means that though it's tough, if external things change and go difficult for a season, we've got an anchor that will hold us through it. And then when we come through that, because there's an end to every valley, um, and uh, when we come through it, there's an incredible release of the joy of God. Thank you, Lord, that we walked through this. It didn't kill us. It didn't destroy us. It was tough, but we actually came through it stronger in our walk with you than we were before and more appreciative of all that you've done for us. And I think that's a real expression of joy. That's good. Last question I want to ask you is what role does spiritual warfare play in our suffering? And I I, I think that is a really uh, interesting question. Uh, I think that some Christians have a habit every time they stub their toe of saying the devil's attacking. <laughs> uh, it reminds me of a prayer meeting I was at as a young Christian where somebody had a problem with cigarettes and they uh, claimed that it was a demon of nicotine and it wasn't their fault. And, uh, <laughs> you know, we get into all these stupidities, don't we? Um, uh, hold on, I gotta tell you. There's a there's a comedian that he, he was kind of big guy, and he went to a, some crazy church, and they told him that he had a spirit of uh, a gluttony on him, and they were gonna pray and cast it out, and he couldn't resist himself, and he went into this voice, and he said, "I'll come out for a cookie." <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, there's That's some funny. crazy stuff out there. In there. <laughs> yeah, uh, I mean, I think that. 
if spiritual attack is involved, that presupposes that we have something worth attacking. And some of the people that claim to be under spiritual attack and their problems are caused by spiritual attack, their lives are in such a mess. I think the devil is not even wasting time attacking them because they're shooting themselves in the foot so well. That That's with, good. You know what I mean? But I think that uh, if you are, uh, you know, if, if you've committed your life to Christ, it doesn't mean you're a big preacher or anything like that. It just means if you love Christ and you have your testimony is consistent, you want to make a difference for Christ in this world, that you have a target painted on you. I, I've always said to people, you know, um, when you get attacked, that shows that you're a threat. Rejoice. You know, you're, you're, the enemy is afraid of, of your life, and he's trying to cut you off. And I do think that Satan tries to cut people off, sort of cut them off at the past before they enter into the next thing that God has for them. Um, so I think that, you know, if, if we're in difficulty, uh, sometimes it's impossible to tell why. We just have to give it to God. Sometimes there is something stupid that we've done, like my incident of crashing into the guardrails, and I need to repent. And uh, it wasn't a demon that did it, and it wasn't God that did it. It was just my stupidity and disobedience <laughs> that did it. Um, and sometimes there are situations, uh, I mean, to continue on the on the traffic uh, stories, um, I've had three times in my life uh, where I, uh, where um, I've had cars cross a line and come right over at me. To, on two of those occasions, it was just after I'd engaged in a deliverance ministry, mm. um, and uh, and I knew it was the devil. That was spiritual attack. Uh, so that wasn't my bad driving. Uh, I mean, I, I take ownership of that, but that was something, and it wasn't just coincidence. You know, circumstances to me indicated that that was a spiritual attack, and that's kind of dramatic. But there are, are times when we do, do go through spiritual attack, not because of sin in our life, but actually because we're a threat to the kingdom of darkness. And it's, it's a, maybe a small consolation, but we need to remind each other, and I think pastorally, we need to go to Christians. If we see somebody going through that, brother, sister going through that, go to that person and say, you know what? Uh, persevere in this because you're a threat to the enemy, and that's why this is happening to you. It's not your fault. It's actually because of your dedication to Christ. Mm. Um, and uh, so all these things, you know, they require spiritual discernment and wisdom and and, and pastoral care. and Christians who are out of community and out of church are just, you know, I, I never understood why people could be so stupid. Because, <laughs> hey, he amen. said it. We didn't say it, but, <laughs> but also but they, amen. Preach, brother, <laughs> preach. But, but they are because the devil isolates people. Yeah. He gets them out of community and they get out of whack. They have no godly, godly counsel in their life. They have no perspective. They have no wisdom. Um, if I'm in trouble, I want to have a multitude of counselors around me who are all going to be giving me perspective. They're going to be praying for me. They're going to be holding my hands up. Even if they don't have a definitive answer to why I'm going through a tough yeah. time, at least they're there to say, look, David, it's not your fault. Just hang in there. God is with you. We're standing with you in prayer. That's wonderful. I think that's sound advice, especially in this COVID era. 
where um, everybody has a really quality live stream. We do it. It's a blessing for a lot of folks who legitimately can't be here, older folks, things like that. Um, but don't abuse it. Don't, don't abuse this time because of the pandemic or what churches are doing to disconnect yourself from community because um, you're really just harming yourself, like you said. Um, all right, in a minute or less, we've been talking about all this suffering. What is your, like, number one God healed somebody story, and then I will let you go? You don't have to give us a long answer. Give us your craziest no, miracle. I, I Well, uh, we've, we've, for years, been involved in praying for couples unable to have children. And uh, uh, one of my favorite stories was I was in a, uh, ministering at, at, uh, in a prayer line at a service in the state of Michigan, and um, there were a very there were a large number of people. I was praying for people for several hours, and in the middle of this lineup, there was a couple there that had actually come to present their father who was dying of cancer. And I remember praying for him and feeling, "No, the Lord is going to take him." Um, and then I just turned and, and looked at this couple, and I heard these words coming out of my mouth, which. Um, I thought, who, who is it that said that? And Rio's like, with a shock, it was me. And uh, I said, I cursed the spirit of barrenness. Wow. And here I'd never seen these people before. They were a young couple, but perfectly healthy and all the rest of it. And and I just said it. And um, they began to weep. And the people around them began to weep. And, uh, and all of a sudden... Um, I'm sort of down on my knees, and I'm, and this just sounds really strange, but I'm down on my knees. I'm yelling this one word in the general direction of her womb, which was life, life, life. And, uh, and afterward, uh, I found out there was a whole story of um, abortion at a, before uh, this lady came to Christ. And I mean, she's given me permit. I could, I'm not going to say her name, her husband's a pastor now um but she's given me permission to do so uh and they had lost children they had lost a baby at full term mm. and uh, none of this i knew and uh anyway um about eight uh eight and a half months later i guarantee that nobody that listens to this will forget this story about eight and a half months later i was back in the same church and i was out with the elders uh in the barn uh, on a farm and they had a big barbecue and the pastor uh, had been a butcher before he became a pastor. And he had all these knives on his belt and there we're all at the barbecue, all the men. And, uh, and, and all of a sudden the barn door rolls uh, aside and this heavily pregnant lady staggers into the, uh, into the barn. I uh, uh, like about, beach ball pregnant and she points at her stomach and she says dave campbell you did this to me that's <laughs> <what> <laughs> and, uh, oh no that's a scandal in the making right there buddy and i had this moment um and i looked at the knives on my pastor friend's belt and i thought i was going to be on the barbecue anyway <laughs> but, um, that's great and this was the this was the lady that that I prayed for. Yeah. <laughs> and nine, nine months later, she gave birth to little Cooper. He's a star baseball player now in, wow. in um, North, North central Indiana. And he's about uh, 11 years old. Uh, the oldest miracle baby that I ever prayed for is I think 38 years old now. And, uh, 
and 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 they're still on the go. But that was a very special story of of um, somebody that had a miracle uh, in their body. And uh, yeah, so you know, God is faithful, and you pray for people, and obviously nobody, only Jesus ever was in a healing meeting where everybody got healed. I was twice in Catherine Kuhlman's miracle services. Uh, and I never forget as long as I live. And she used to say, um, maybe one day we'll be in a healing service like Jesus where everybody gets healed. But I don't think that'll ever happen till heaven because nobody's like Jesus. Yeah. But mm. it sure is nice to know that God can do miracles. Amen. And for all that, you know, we have to face suffering and difficulty. We also believe in a God of miracles. That's right. And yes. we believe that God does miracles today. It's yes, not he just does. for 2,000 years ago, that he does it today. And, mm. I, and I wish, you know, I wish that my Pentecostal friends, I wish that they were more Pentecostal than most of them are. Because uh, you can go into some Pentecostal churches and, well, you wouldn't know they were Pentecostal. I'm yeah. just going to leave it at that. Yep. But, uh, I, you know, to my charismatic friends, I don't mind if they're a little bit, I'm not saying we should be loopy, but, you know, we need to be. Um, radical for, for Jesus. And, and part of our radicality is that we do believe in a God of miracles. Yeah. We don't just, you know, we don't just do strange things and go through strange rituals and fall over in services. We actually believe that Jesus does miracles. Yes. And, you know, we may have somebody suffering in our congregation, but we also can have miracles happening. And we know that God's with us and it's part of the mystery of what we have in Christ, but he is real. And the miracle is the foretaste of the eternal healing and glory that all of us will enter into. That's really, really that's wonderful. Great that's stuff. Wonderful. Great, great stuff. Well, Dr. Campbell, I'd like to end like this. If you would, would you just pray over anybody that could be listening that's suffering right now? And, and we'll just end the podcast that way. Does that sound good with you? I think everyone that's listened to me go on this long has been suffering. (laughs) (laughs) It's not been too bad. (laughs) Hopefully developing some perseverance. That's right. (laughs) But I'd be happy to pray. Wonderful. And Lord, uh, uh, we just think of this brother in the fellowship there in Anderson who has lost his son, and we lift him before you. Yes. Pray that that you'd maintain him in, in, in this hour and cause his testimony to be uh, something that draws everyone that knows him to you. And uh, Lord, uh, for any and all of us uh, who are listening to this uh, and whatever uh, any of us are going through, Lord, I pray that you'd reach out and touch those people who are really going through the mill right now or at the time that they listen to this broadcast. Uh, Lord, uh, draw them to yourself. Assure them of your presence, Lord. You love us, even when, even if, even if we have messed up and got ourselves into trouble. That does not negate your grace and your love and your mercy, and the fact that you can reach into the worst mess yes. and draw us out of it. Yes, you can bring good out of the worst situation, Lord. Just give hope to anyone that needs to have hope today. Give them that hope as an anchor that pulls them into your presence. And pour out your spirit, Lord. At the end of that uh, um, passage in Romans 5, 
in your word, Father, where it's suffering and perseverance and endurance. But the end of that is that the love of God is poured out in our hearts by the Holy Spirit. So please pour out your love today in the hearts of those who desperately need it. And may it be to your glory in their lives. In Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Well, thank you so much, Dr. Campbell, for being with us. And thank you to those of you who are listening. We uh, pray that you are blessed by this podcast today. And as always, give us a like, rating, subscribe, all the good stuff. Send this to somebody you know that maybe needs it, that's going through a hard time right now, and allow it to encourage them. And we will see you back in a couple of weeks.